Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite powered by a reliable deep linking engine lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Yeah, <laughs> welcome everybody to Twig, uh, episode 100 and what are we on? 68. So we're just talking about talking about the hate mail that uh, that you know we we receive a lot of fan feedback and by feedback we <laughs> most of it is just like you're opening with yeah the hate and mail. Um, and now yeah. now since I was out the last last episode we're not gonna no names here all feedback is anonymous. Um, People don't like Ethan so much that they actually said, like, maybe you should come back. <laughs> and I think I, well, no, no, I think my plot has played really no, well. Compliment, man. But uh, the hate mail was for your yeah. tokenomics. It wasn't for Twig. No, right? it was for Twig. No, he yeah. was for Twig? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was. Oh. No, no, dude. It was because your fucking connection was horrific and we couldn't. No, it was right. unlistenable. I know. Okay, I'm, so I, that's, hey, look, I, I take responsibility for that. Right, my, I'm moving into my mobile dev memo layer next month. I'm gonna have blazing fast Wi-Fi. You might not be able to get me on the podcast. I might be too busy owning newbies at Call of Duty to contribute. 
Because I can't play yeah, that, Call of Duty. I suck at Call of Duty because my connection yeah, right. is so bad. That's, that's, that's the reason. That's, yeah, the reason no, that's, that's, reason. Yeah. that's not the way you, why you suck, dude. Honestly, come on, you're fucking old, dude. Oh. Um, anyway, I, I I feel like we get enough feedback. We don't mm-hmm. get enough feedback, and when we do get feedback, it's always relatively visceral, positive mm-hmm. or negative. I think is like kind of the way. And so it's a little bit unfair for Ethan to get picked on because this is like his second time on the podcast. I, I, I have gotten people privately saying that they like it. So yeah. that's okay. You know, it's, it's <laughs> Never read out. the comments. That's um, usually <laughs> the MO. And, but yeah, by the, no. we appreciate all the feedback. And I really like when the feedback – like most of the feedback that we get is not like to the info at deconstructorfund.com. Like I'm, I don't know if we ever even received it. It's like DM just directly. Just like, hey, by the way, fuck you. Uh <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> Somebody's going to blow up my Slack now. No, no, no I'm just kidding. Ethan, no. I just did. <laughs> but that's not – I don't even – Take a moment. I don't even interpret – I mean, here's here's the feedback. Like when someone gives me feedback, this is what I interpret that as. Hey, you listen, right? And, and whether it's good or bad, they're listening, right? No one's ever said, I'm never going to no. listen again. They're listening and they send, you know, thoughts. And that's, I, I, I appreciate that. But the way I, my, 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 the, the interpretation there is just, hey, you listened. And then the rest of it is like, well, okay, we yeah. can talk about that. But, and, you know, I, I can't tell you how many, and I share that with you guys too, like this CEOs yeah, and important yeah. people listen to the podcast. And that's what I care about. Now, no one's going to agree with you 100% of the time and it's fine. But the fact that people are listening is, a, you know, is, is the yeah. message. And even though I'm getting back channel hate from uh, Apple all the time about talking smack about them, you know. That, that helps, helps with the sponsorship. Too, right? Like, shout out to Facebook and Google. They're listening. And- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Google. And, um, but, no, but, but, um, but it, and, and all, that's true, Eric. Like, the, uh, the, the feedback that we get is often from C-suits, from public companies even, uh, quite often even from public companies. So it's really nice, and that's why we don't want to call out names. And, and we appreciate all feedback that we get. And it's not really hate. Like, I'm just I'm just like, but it's it's funny because it's so blunt. It's so blunt where uh, when and the one came out, Ethan, I was like, I'm posting this one. Like, you need to read this. Don't don't worry. Tell, tell first back from paternity yeah. leave. Tell first. Right? The- then I'll be uh, relegated back to the tokenomics <laughs> corner. Yeah. Um, Actually, this dovetails, and mm. this is a transition masterpiece right now, <clears throat> to feedback I did get mm. on the podcast from one of my uh, acquaintances. And uh, he basically said, and I agree with him, I did a really piss poor job of explaining my concerns about subscription models in gaming and why I think this Microsoft thing is not necessarily a good idea or potentially a really bad thing for consumers over the long term. Um, and what's crazy about this is that he literally wrote this thing out ad nauseum. It was like a freaking, you know, a term paper in, in Slack. So uh, I really do appreciate this. And he basically wanted to remain anonymous for some strange reason. But uh, smart guy, I appreciate it. So I am going to describe this again and try to un- make you hopefully make you guys understand why I think this is a longer term concern. All right. So fundamentally, this is a big business model change for gaming. Another one, right? Free to play was one. Certainly subscriptions are going to be another. We may or may not see, depending on if Ethan survives, um, <laughs> NFTs as a different business model. We'll see. Um, but the fundamental problem with this business model is it may change how games are designed and monetized for content creators, right? And could potentially cannibalize and compress the value of content from those developers. Um, the, the, the subscription model create, removes uncertainty and risk 
but it also and, and provides a steady revenue for Microsoft and, and the subscription holder or the platform itself. Um, but, and, and that's good. And that's certainly great for the consumer. And I think that's what people are focusing their attention on is how great this is for the consumer to build this amazing subscription, right? But for third party, this could be a huge potential problem and a huge risk for, for ongoing development. Um, and so the big risk is that these consumers shift to subscriptions and stop buying frontline products, right? That's, that's the big risk. And, um, and it basically would reduce the incentives for third parties to create games because they can't compete against this dominant business model of a subscription and all the content that's that's given it to it. And 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 the the big thing that he he mentioned in his in his post was that discoverability becomes a problem because if it's not built within the four walls of Microsoft, what is the incentive for them to actually s support or promote competing products? And that is the big crazy thing. So if Battlefield comes out four years from now against the next Call of Duty Black Ops, why in the fuck would they ever promote any of that on, on their on their on their platform? Because they're competing directly against themselves. And so that is the incentive if they are pushing for subscriptions is to not support Battlefield. And at that point, it'll be 70 to 80 percent digital distribution on, on Microsoft's platform. So they will have the dominant distribution uh, mechanism for games. Um, and so I guess the, the question is whether or not over a period of time, this is more of a long-term issue, right? Do third-party games die out because they hollowed out like the core of, of gaming by providing all this value from the subscription and, dis, and creating a huge disadvantage uh, for third parties? Because Microsoft gets 100% of the profits, right? On every game that's sold or every subscription that's sold in, in this case. but. We as as, our, as third party, you have to give up thirty percent of your 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 uh, P and L to to Microsoft on on every game. So this puts everybody at a huge disadvantage to what Microsoft is providing. And on top of it, Sony is at a huge disadvantage because they cannot afford the profitability hit on a subscription. And that's why I think Sony is actually at a disadvantage. And we'll talk about that actually a little bit later in the context of what they're doing with Bungie. So anyway, I think at the end of the day, Microsoft could become Nintendo. Right where Microsoft is now 20, 15, 10% of revenue on, in any given year, they could become the 70 to 80% that Nintendo is, right? Because their content becomes dominant. Um, and I think, you know, independent developers, smaller developers are the ones going to take the hit because you know that, you know, EA with their sports is going to, you know, take their pound of that 20 to 30%. And then GTA every 12 years is going to take another part of that. So where exactly does the rest of the ecosystem go when consumers um, are, are so engaged uh, with the subscription model? So anyway, it just creates a harder competitive position from a discoverability perspective and from a competitive perspective for third parties if the subscription model really does take off and the content continues to be super compelling. So that's the kind of point I wanted to make. And I hope that's a little bit clearer. Makes sense. Makes sense. <clears throat> Let's run through the updates. And yeah, so that makes sense. Float around Sony for, for, for this episode. Well, one, but one, one thing I'd add to that is that um, it was announced yesterday the FTC mm -hmm. is going to investigate the, uh, the Microsoft uh, Activision acquisition. Now, that's not surprising. What's surprising there is so any big acquisition is going to be investigated, but the, 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 the DOJ and the FTC share that responsibility, and they just sort of like you know decide who gets to investigate what as these big deals happen. And 
the fact that it was decided that it would be the FTC investigating, I think, is interesting because the FTC has taken a more aggressive stance against big tech, right? Um, there's a really great piece in the information yesterday about how the FTC is really trying to push through like digital uh, data custody laws. Um, and they're having issues with that because of some internal politics. But but in general, the FTC is kind of more aggressive around big tech consolidation than probably the DOJ is, just given its leadership. And so it is, I think it is an interesting development that they are investigating that. And let's see, maybe this gaming consolidation at like the very highest levels uh, does face some resistance as a result of that. Again, the stock is trading like, I think this is like a, almost a 55% chance that this thing passes, you know, at 80 bucks a share when they were purchased for all cash of 96. So that's the implication there. So there is still some risk. And I, I, I'm going to reiterate my thing is I think this thing mm -hmm. passes. Well, I, <laughs> sorry, I'm hedging a little bit. I think it passes in the US. I think that there's more risk in the U Europe, but I, I just don't understand what they're going to do. But um, but I think they're just going to position this in a way that's not going to really. My concerns are exactly why this deal shouldn't happen from a from an anti-competitive perspective, I think, or, or one of the reasons. Right. But but they are going to position this in a completely different way. So I'm going to look dead wrong until this thing passes. And three years from now, we're going to see this kind of manifest itself in poor percels of, of third party games and and the dominant of the subscription model. Microsoft, Sony starts losing share, mm. bah, 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 you know, but but I don't think they'll position it this way for the next three years, or certainly during the process of getting approval from the government. So anyway, uh, we'll get to that, I guess, with the yeah. Sony stuff. The, the way, so that the listeners can understand the live ops model of this product is that the way these, these are structured is we tell you about some very interesting topic in the beginning, and then we actually talk it in the end. And through that, we have a phenomenal retention rate between the people who actually start listening to this podcast to the finish. Uh, so, that's not it's not, but accidental, and it actually works. So, so we have a we have an outstanding finishing rate. We're like a puzzle game over here. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about news that you didn't even expect hearing. So, uh, Netflix Games has surpassed eight million downloads. Says uh, Aptopia, which is a competitor to the App Annies and the Sensor Towers of the world. Uh, Netflix Games currently has twelve titles. They, I don't think it's globally launched. I don't know if it's in the U.S. Eric, I want to talk about this because this is weird. So their number one game is Teeter Up. It is the most downloaded. It has about 800,000 yeah. installs. And I would call it a hyper-casual game. Let's let's be honest. Like, it, it's a hyper-casual yeah. game. Wait, they, but what are we talking about? Eight million? No, that's eight, 800,000. Nothing. Even, no, well, eight million. Yeah, yeah, million yeah. downloads yeah, exactly. for 12 games exactly. is and then terrible. Uh, but but the Aptopia it, and it's declining, yes. right? The Aptopia chart had a sort of yeah. downward trend on, uh, and they showed the release yeah. cycle. Yeah, and, and the latest game that came out was called Arca Arcanium Rise of Akon. Like it's as as <laughs> disturbing as the name. Like no offense to the developer, it's it's a, essentially a Hearthstone clone. Uh, and I don't know how many people play Hearthstone clones when you can play Hearthstone. Um, I'm I'm kind of like wondering where are they heading with this? Is it is this sort of a, like the first wave where they're just testing different? Uh, different types of games and kind of seeing like this is just you know like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks that's what i would assume is happening right now i'm going to reiterate this i keep saying this thing over and over again there are like five people at the end of december that work at <laughs> netflix gaming right and and they may have doubled that or tripled that over the last month or so yeah. but that they don't have anybody. These are all legacy deals that were licensed yeah. and whatever and done and, 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 and people are coming on the but, platform. But right? it's weird that so 
This but is it's not weird the that this is in motion and this is what's happening. And what's happening is like confusing. It's like what what's going on, guys? Like you make the best TV shows and movies. Like like what is this? Yeah, but they didn't at the mm-hmm. start. I, I mean, House of Cards was yeah. great, but before House of Cards, there was that Steve Van Zandt Lily yeah. Hammer. You know, we're in the Lily. Yeah, and, and that, that's and it's, yeah. I, go ahead, Eric. God, that show was unwatchable. <laughs> I, I think we're I think we're in okay. the Lily Hammer phase. I think they'll they probably have a stronger slate coming up. But I think. You know what's interesting is you know they just ramped they just they just bumped the the, the mm-hmm. subscription price up again, so it's almost twenty bucks a month now, and I think they've got to you know they've got to justify that somehow, right? And like there's just such a war for the the the, the streaming content. Where else? Where do you, what do you expand into? And well, gaming makes sense, but you got to have a killer game, right? If you get the killer game, um, you know, then maybe that helps to justify the bump in the 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 sub price. But like Apple arcade never did right it's not easy and and the thing is like there's an adverse selection problem too because the killer games don't want to go into being a subscription package product they want to launch on their own it's free to play and make a lot of money one thing though i, I do need to correct myself because two weeks ago i think i talked about how netflix was violating the uh no app stores and the app store rule um and and they're not right so all of these are published under the netflix label that was my misapprehension i thought that they were published under the uh, developer labels but these are all netflix published games and so you are allowed to cross promote your own games within an app if they are all published under your label. So I was, I was wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah. My, right, um, on. the, the giant master's thesis I wrote. Yeah. On this two pieces. Year, the, the whole point was <laughs> no, no matter what, um, all, all, all they need, they can spend a, an incredible amount of money. And I think their audience is so price insensitive that when two years from now, they say we're raising the price $1 a month because games, the amount of revenue that generates offsets a, a massive investment in games. So I think that, you know, I didn't even know my price subscription. Every time it goes up, I, those emails are even filtered for me. So as long as they keep making delightful trash like Outer Banks, I'll, I'll keep subscribing. And so, you know, a year, two years from now, they'll, they'll increase the price. They'll say it's because of games and it'll be a very profitable spreadsheet exercise for them, whether it's getting massive downloads or not. Dude, Ozark, Ozark, the the last season was phenomenal. Like they only they're doing no it in spoilers. two parts. Haven't started yet. Well, I'm not gonna spoil it. But I'm just it's phenomenal. That's not yeah. a spoiler. Guys. It's phenomenal. I can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, I um, okay, Ozark's so going great. to to other news. Tilting Point has released its own Tilting Point launcher with Warhammer Chaos Conquest, which is a 4x game, and Operation New Earth. I'm not sure what kind of a game that is. If that's not the uh, their arcadey kind of like a Archero type of a game, I'm not sure. Um, if you have read the predictions on Deconstructive Fun that came out actually on Monday, maybe, on Midcore, this is exactly what, what we were essentially saying, that Midcore games are going to to, uh, to cross-platform, especially with Mac and PC uh, platforms. And when talking about these, as a great example, I think Raid Shadow Legends, it was one of the few RPG games that actually grew last year, and it grew quite significantly, like 27% up in in um in, in revenue and i think the game is making like 80 million through all platforms a month uh, or something like that don't don't quote me on it and that's also the game that there was i think the first one to come out on on cross-platform with a pc and mac launcher and now we're seeing other ones to do so and i think by the end of the year uh most of these 4x games and and rpg games will have their own launcher because of the uh the success that these are having and not only in terms of net revenue it's not actually cannibalizing your mobile revenues it's just it's just overall growing um yeah go ahead 
Um, does any does anybody know people yeah. at Tilting Point? Like the current. All right. Well, if anybody if anybody from Tilting Point listens to the podcast, I would love to get the history here because I knew the mm-hmm. founders of Tilting Point way back when from EA, and it seems like they've evolved to something different. Yeah. Than what it so used they. To be. Uh, yeah. They. We. So I, let me. Go like ahead. I remember when when we did the uh, the with Samir. Uh, he's the president, and we did a podcast like maybe a couple of years ago with Joe, and. Um, and we were kind of going through different publishers. We talked to Scopely. We talked to them. We talked to you know Klaus from from Phoenix and so forth. And and what they described was essentially, in my opinion, where where um, where Scopely was already, and they were kind of heading in that direction. I think they're pretty close now. Like they they're essentially like like Scopely, right? They they have the central teams that are driving these external teams. They're purchasing smaller studios. They're using IPs. Um, you know they're growing like crazy. So I th- I think that's that's their model. They just don't have yet those blockbuster games and the blockbuster IPs that come from it. So they're kind of like Scopely five years ago. Yeah. Got it. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I know the team pretty well. So Samir listens. Um, he, he pinged me one time uh, after an episode because um, we were talking about Tilted Point. I think, yeah, so they've gone through a couple iterations, right? So like the first iteration was uh, like publishing more like AAA style paid games. Uh, and then they moved into more of like just a like a kind of you know more of like a lightweight publisher model in like the second iteration and like my understanding of the third iteration is like they had kind of multiple lines of business they did like more of like a ua uh agency type service on as one of those business units and then they did like more of a high touch publisher service as another business unit um and and then i think they had something that was kind of in between um, but I think, you know, they just raised a massive round and I think they're, they're consolidating like those business units more around like the high touch publisher model where there's, there's, there's more upside there. Right. So like, you know, you, you a lot of those agreements come with like a roffer, um, uh, like right of first refusal. Um, and there's, there's just more ways to capture the, the sort of like equity upside with that model. My sense is, and I don't, I mean, I don't know this, but my sense is that, like, that's the direction they're moving in. With, with all that new yeah, funding. And Samir is welcome right. to the podcast. Right, he, we, we had a chat a few months ago. He said he'll come back when he have more news. And that was, I think, end of last year. So they definitely have more news. So Samir, anytime. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, he was super prepared. I do have to say, like, he was one of the most prepared guests. He he knocked it off the park. And he also, because he knew that Javier from Scopely is also doing it. And Samir beat him in the numbers. Just saying, like, he was, uh, <laughs> he, was he, he teed it up real well. Anyways, um, Ubisoft has shut down Hyperspace. Uh, this was a game originally released in 2020. It was a typical Battle Royale during the height of all Battle Royale games. And it was on PC and it was I think it was on, on consoles. I'm not sure, but I played it on PC. Uh, Ubisoft's statement didn't provide why they did this. Uh, but when you look at the developing team from Montreal and Hyperspace, the EP... Creative director, art director, game director, technical director all left Ubisoft last year and created their own studio called Monster Closet. So I think that's the uh, the reason, kind of like the uh, the conjunction of of the game per, per, perhaps not doing too well and the leadership team leaving. And a couple of words about Monster Closet. It's interesting. It's um, the goal there for is to build smaller team, build smaller scale games where everyone. Uh, new everybody and people can kind of work from the ground up with strong values um, and and all the story about monster closet is is really like giving more ownership unlike in a typical triple a game where you're super specialized and and lockered and, and kind of like you know work on your little piece that pole and you can't have any any access or any other information or, or input or anything um, 
so yeah, so the Monster Closet seems like an awesome, fun little studio. I don't expect them to do anything free-to-play. I don't think expect them to do anything live ops, but they probably will do some beautiful indie AAA games or AA. So. This, uh, this shutdown, it reminds me of uh, Bosky's uh-huh. game. Um, what was it called? Not Reddit. The Lawbreakers, right? Because part of Hyperscapes, it's like unique proposition was bringing verticality into Battle Royale. And that was uh, the same thing Lawbreakers was doing, bringing a lot of verticality into an arena shooter. And I think we've seen at least two <clears throat> products where that being like the key differentiator hasn't really caught on with players in this crowded uh, shooter multiplayer market. Yeah, yeah. I, did you guys play Hyperspace? No? Yes? I, I, no. I, I Me too. Briefly, um, I, I mean... Throwing it out there, like this is an example of, of Ubisoft kind of run amok, like green lighting projects that I don't think were well researched, frankly. I mean, I think it could be partly because of the verticality, like that creates more complexity in terms of gameplay. Um, but it's also because the sci fi mm-hmm. nature of the game, like the super sci fi, and like, um, anyway. I think what they if they diverted more of their attention towards some of their core franchises, which is something I've been complaining about fucking Ubisoft for the last fifteen years, you know, and then build this kind of experience with Ghost Recon, right? Why didn't they fucking do that, you know, and like and really actually build a competitive game? But I, for some reason, that these these type of projects are never never started, or they they start these like really like high beta products. You know that that have little chance of success versus like mm-hmm. leveraging their core franchises. It's, it's, it's yeah, it, it was a that I don't know. There's something for me with with these super sci-fi, and especially with the because uh, it was like a, such a high speed battle royale game. So I I I like slower. I mean, I, fuck, I play World of Warships, so of course I go crazy when things move too fast. It wasn't a, it wasn't a game game for me, but it was well made. It was like good quality and everything, so just didn't stick. I'm still out here lighting a candle for Beyond Good. I don't even know what that is. Every (laughs) night I hope that it's still in development. But listen, I'm going to tee off Ethan Yu with a little NFT article. And actually, this is also for Crest because it's from NewZoo. So double trigger. So trigger warning. Trigger warning already. I read through this. I wasn't triggered. I wasn't triggered on this one except for their nonsense about mobile. Dude, fucking mobile Wait, uh, what is the article? You were not, you were not Wait, triggered. How are you not triggered? I went down the rabbit hole of reading through Newzoo's like excerpts, and I and I came across the idea of mobile esports with PUBG and whatever else. I'm like, just stop! <laughs> like, that, it's not a thing, you know. Like, I I don't understand why they focus their attention on such obscure bullshit, you know. Yeah. Like, stop okay. it. Okay, uh, Newzoo. Right, so, and according I'm, I'm to really Newzoo. They predict that NFT companies will transition into luxury and lifestyle brands, and the, that exposure from social media influencers will boost the reach of NFTs to the wider public. For example, Newzoo points out at Bored Ape NFT and its popularity amongst celebrities, such as rappers Snoop Dogg and Post Malone, who each have a large social media following and are advocates for this collection. By, by the way, I think you can get sued for advocating like a token if that, that would be it. Anyways, uh, Newzoo believes that this... No, they, they are. They're... Yeah. 
what's the guy's name? The 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 boxer. He got sued for pushing his NFT product. Yeah, the, uh, what's yeah. The guy's this name? is the, uh, like, like this is anyway. And Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Oh, exactly. So so be careful. You know, pushing these. Uh, Newzoo believes that this echoes the luxury fashion industry in that exclusive NFTs can serve as status symbols to other like-minded individuals as well as the broader public. I don't know what to say. I mean, I do talk no mix with Ethan and and um. <laughs> And as I say, like I, I feel like uh, I feel like they're they're you know pulling a <laughs> pulling a prank on me when when we do this because like the numbers are insane, like trillion dollar. Uh, somebody's buying like a like a house next to Snoop and paying five hundred thousand for that. So, uh, Ethan, what do you think about this as uh, as the official crypto kid? Yeah, this is interesting. As as the NFT booster, um, it is. I mean, I think that there are going to be a lot of lifestyle brand plays in NFTs, and there already are, and, and a lot of them are going to fail, and there are going to be a lot of people who buy stuff, and then three years later they say, why did I buy this digital Prada dress for Decentraland, a, a game I've never <laughs> played? Like, um, I think that some of the most interesting things that are happening in NFTs that are not game projects, like Board Ape is not a game project right now is that they kind of resemble streetwear brands like that's a good frame of reference to view them from and so uh you know if you can find an audience that wants to buy your brand as an nft like gr great for you i i think the challenge to it being part of a wider audience is that these are only going to be status symbols if they show up in pe places people care about them so having a board ape as your uh, verified Twitter profile pick, like 99% of all Twitter users don't give a fuck about the hexagon right now, but people within the in-group, within the community really care about it. And I think a challenge for a lot of these NFTs is they're almost like betting they're going to be part of our normal digital life. And I think, I don't, I don't buy into that. I, I don't think that people are going to be that attached to what their um, Twitter profile pick is that that like a normie wants to spend fifty thousand dollars on a Snoop Dogg NFT to make it their profile pick. That's that's a reach for me. I I'm I mostly uh, believe in projects that are based on in-game utility. I think I so I I hear you. I want I would the where I would push back is like. There is a model for that. There is a model for uh, uh, in-group status signaling, um, you know, within the sort of wealthiest tier of society, right? And that's just the high-end art market, right? I think I've talked about this before, but um, I read this book called Black Edge about uh, SAC Capital, which is Steve Cohen's uh, former uh, fund. Um, and, like, the, the, it, the book talks about how, like, these hedge fund guys, like you can't signal to people you can't just talk about how much money you make and like people kind of know but you can't just you can't just go around announcing that to, and, and it's all like just this this competitive like warfare with those guys it's just very type a people that want to be the best and so the way that they signal to people that they did had a really good year is that they go and buy a, a basquat or they go and buy like whatever uh uh you know um a very uh, mediocre painting winston churchill <laughs> made or whatever, but That's but they they spend just outrageous sums of money on it. It's totally divorced from any sort of concept of value 
right that I would hold or that any of us would hold um, but to them it's just a, a means of broadcasting how successful they are and so like the Twitter kind of I, I feel like Twitter became that especially with the hexagonal um, uh, you know avatars like that's just what that is that's VCs uh, you know, showcasing how much money they have, or that's whoever, like, uh, you know, like uh, other other financiers showcasing how much money they have. No one cares about that except them. And in that sort of like very rarefied world, it's important. But that still supports some level of transactions. Now, the problem with NFTs and crypto in general is like it's very hard to discern how much of that is fraud, and a lot of it is fraud. A lot of it's just wash trading. There was that that the case of like Rarible, I guess, or was there was there was a new NFT trading marketplace, and it, it got up to like nine billion in trading volume and it, it, it was determined that eight billion of that was wash trading like so they're just pumping the, the the transaction volume to show like hey our platform is has got a lot of users transacting and there's a lot we're, we're worth a lot of money aren't we but actually it was just a bunch of people tr you know buying stuff from themselves to to juice the transaction volume so the question is like does that become a real market and if it does how big is it is it just very very wealthy people uh trying to one-up each other right. by how much money they'll spend on something that no one else holds any value in and then also how do you actually weed out the fraud which is just endemic and rampant yeah yeah you, you, we're agreeing here basically like it it feels like it will be a th it is a thing currently and it will continue to be a thing but it will matter to a very small group of people i don't think like luxury adidas sneaker nfts are going to yeah. be a mainstream so we're calling answer. bullshit on this right it's, it's in groups <laughs> like take a stance yeah. ethan <laughs> well, yeah. i i don't understand luxury products. okay ethan calls it bullshit at all it's, it's, all it's right uh, yeah so i'm, ca I'm calling i don't i'm calling bullshit on the idea that this is going to filter uh, out to the but point. otherwise good report okay so um yeah. uh, i've got two uh two updates so first or eric you have uh some some perspective here no 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 you can't say it's a good report if it's full of it's fucking the, the expert on the on the podcast says it's bullshit, right? Trigger <laughs> warning. It's either one or the other. Triggered. It's good I'm gonna or it's be, bad. I'm gonna be okay? political. It's bad. That doesn't make it good. Okay. The Stop graphs it, were really right? nice. It's stupid. I have to say, like they, they yeah. triggered. I'll, I'll I'll read the report and, and maybe I'll comment it. Well, the color scheme on the website was was very attractive. <laughs> um, okay. I got two quick uh, updates. So Lost Lake Studio raises five million in funding for game development team. Um, I'm an investor with them. Uh, I'm you know n not super pleased that Venture Beat did not mention my name. Uh, not sure why they didn't. I thought we had a good relationship. Uh, apparently not. Um, but Lost Lake Studio has got to be the most impressive founding team I've ever seen in a gaming company. They've got, you know, the, the CEO is a former um, game lead on StarCraft. They've got people from ArenaNet, um, uh, Blizzard, obviously. Um, and, and it's just a really impressive team. Excited to see what they bring uh, to market. And then the second, uh, just a little tidbit, I don't, I don't want to go down a whole uh, uh, rabbit hole here, but with... Earnings for Axie Infinity players drop below Philippines minimum wage. And I think it, this is just, you know, you, that's an you, old you story. Is it? That was that. Yeah. So that's that's reporting on a really great research paper that Novik did that was mostly written by Lars Doucet. Um, oh, I think that was shit. You're right. December. No, November uh, 16th. OK, my bad. Yeah. Yeah, Lars did some really excellent research and data digging. So again, this was before the crypto crash that already the SLP crash had uh, in, in earned. Oh, that was before the crash. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, my, my I, only comment there is you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Like if that's your value prop, then you better be able to maintain your value prop. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, Lars is a fucking Jedi, dude. I like that guy, dude. He really is like no, no. Uh, he is very pragmatic about all these things. I like yeah. listening to him talk about shit. I got to mm-hmm. actually get him on. I, I, I gotta, talked to him Ethan, on. You, send an intro. I talked to him on a Novik podcast and a lot of people were like, Lars is really hard to debate. And and my response was, we weren't debating. We were having a really great conversation. I'm, I guess our two vocal inflections make you think we're arguing. But uh, Is that is that the this, guy who's, this, who's, who's really, uh, I call him like a crypto skeptic? Yeah, yes. he's a crypto skeptic, okay. and his ideas are really well thought out and real, real, fa- really well founded. Yeah. And he's really well spoken. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do enjoy listening to him. But, but yeah, so, anyway, yeah, so the update me, is that an... SLP earn rate is still well below the Philippine minimum wage. Uh, Got it. That's <laughs> well, there's Venezuela. Um, yeah. <laughs> Somalia. I mean, hey, there's, there's, you know, there's tons of failed <laughs> states. Third world countries. To, um, to I hear ravage. Ukraine is coming hard. No, nah, no, nah, that was a bad joke. Uh, I, <laughs> oh, oh, my mom edit, is Ukrainian, by out. the way, for everybody. So you know, let's let's relax a little bit. I didn't, I didn't know yeah, that. My mom is Ukrainian. My, I didn't know that. I'm on um, both sides of the uh, of the equation. <laughs> did, did I ever tell? I I don't think I ever told you guys this story. I I did. I had a project in like Crimea. <laughs> And uh, I didn't know I didn't know the city I was going to was in Crimea. And so like I land at the airport, which was like, you know, tiny. Yeah. And uh, and I'm waiting for my ride and I just pull up my phone and I, I went on wiki tra- wiki travel for the city that I was in. And it was like, do not travel to this city. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. And uh, and no, but it was like, and, well, anyway, it's a whole different story. But uh, so I, and here I just have a quote to, to share. So this is Satya Nadella from the Microsoft earnings last week. Uh, and we talked two weeks ago, but, and I had my kind of idea about like Microsoft could become a games advertising platform. That, that seems like a very straightforward thing that they could do. And this is what Satya said. I think it was a couple of days after we recorded. More broadly, we are expanding our opportunity in advertising. Over the, t- over the past 12 months, our total advertising revenue, inclusive of LinkedIn, surpassed $10 billion XTAC. And with our acquisition of Xander, we will bring to market new advertising solutions that combine our deep audience understanding and customer base with Xander's large-scale data-driven platform. So one piece of information I had in that podcast that I think probably uh, Cress and, and Telford didn't have, which is because it kind of flew under the radar, was that Microsoft bought Xander which is like a very large scale DSP from AT&T right before Christmas. It was kind of buried because it happened on like the 21st. So it didn't get a lot of attention and people that are not, you know, following advertising wouldn't have known about it. But I mean, I, you know, I had that piece of information when I made the point. Um, it, Xander, you could, Xander is basically the plumbing. It's the pipes. It's the, the foundation. And you can layer a lot of stuff on top of that. Um, so anyway, that was my point in the podcast. And I think Satya just sort of, uh, you know, pointed in that direction in earnings. Cool. cool. I'll try and go through some fun crypto Trigger stories warning for quick. everybody. Uh. <laughs> a trigger warning? Yeah. Um, uh, so the first one, just a, a correction. Uh, last week, I talked about Decentraland and the market cap for mana, and I mistakenly said $4 trillion a couple times when I went $4 billion. So they have an uh, ungodly amount of value in their market cap, but not a uh, not $4 trillion. Uh, so sorry. Thank thank you for everybody who pointed that error out to me. Well, uh, I I, I pointed it out, but but I think my I was cutting out at the time. But my point was the U.S. GDP is uh, twenty trillion, so it seemed unlikely right. that a single company's market cap was four. 
if uh yeah if uh not even a single company a single token a token that uh, uh is used within a game anyways um i want to start with a fun not fun unfortunate for the victims but uh this story notorious youtube streamer stole five hundred thousand from fans in a crypto scheme and the short version of it is that this guy, Ice Poseidon, who's a YouTube streamer, tricked his fans into investing in something called CX Coin. He raised about $500,000 for that project and then did a rug pull on his community and seems mainly unapologetic about it. So all the people who are saying crypto is full of scams, you're right. It, it absolutely is full of scams. Uh, this is a, a, a perfect example of it. And if you as an individual are... Uh, putting your hard-earned money into crypto projects either be completely willing to lose it or do your own research i mean this is this type of thing does happen all the time um i do recommend reading this article on kotaku because this guy really does seem like a shitbag but uh so it's kind of a fun read but uh i'm not denying that this sort of stuff happens all the time um Second one I want to talk about was EA in the recent earnings call said uh, previously they'd said NFTs are the future. And then in the most recent one in the earnings call, the quote was something like EA is not driving hard in the direction of NFTs. Um, this doesn't surprise me. It's totally sensible. Uh, EA should be looking at what's happening with Ubisoft and what's happening with their own developers and with their own players and know that anything they did in the next couple of years in the NFT space is already going to be met with a lot of ire from a company that was voted most hated company in the world multiple times. Um, yeah. And also having been inside of EA as part of an effort to bring a new business model to life, it's just not really what the organization is there for. So I fully expect EA to make one or several acquisitions in the crypto space over the next coming years of bringing on full crypto organizations the same way they did with um, Playfish and with um, uh, PopCap and others during the free-to-play era, right? EA is much more comfortable acquiring a, a unit that, and, and pretty much all the companies, they're much better at acquiring the unit than building out a new business model uh, internally. So this these comments didn't surprise me at all can, can i just just hover there for a second um i mean i think you're, you're you're right like it that was not credible in the least when they you know mentioned that they were gonna uh, explore uh this space i mean that's just it's just like laughable almost it's like it's a fantasy that they would that they would be that they would sort of exhibit any sort of like leadership um with nfts but but that's that's true but not that's not that's not a dig at ea that's just true for any big public gaming company that's not what they do Right. Um, that's that's not what that's not really what their mandate is. Right. Uh, so it was just it was laughable that they even suggested that they might do it. I, I, I tweeted this thing out the other day uh, that kind of got away from me. I, it was like, uh, you know, that that clacking sound you hear is every mobile game startup founder removing the NFT slide from their pitch deck. <laughs> um, and, and and so I retweeted it out yesterday when 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 this, you know, they when uh, uh, Wilson uh, expressed this like a 180. Um, but I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I, I think this was like a fundraising tactic for a while, but it's not anymore. Um, you know, just, just this sort of like very, and, and what I meant by that was like the superficial inclusion of NFTs just to sort of tick that off, um, you know, the checklist, right? Like that's not going to work anymore. And I think actually people are going to be much more sensitive to that. I think if you're pitching a project that, uh, you know, utilizes NFT for a part of the game economy, you really have to prove 
why that makes the game better. I don't think investors are, there's not a frenzy anymore to just push money into these projects. All right. What the fuck has changed in the last few weeks? You know, like, is it the fact that the correction of the market? I mean, I'm, I'm, I know it's a dumb question. That and Axie probably. Anyway, like, what's changed? Like, we were a month ago, everyone couldn't stop talking about NFTs and pitching NFTs. Yeah. Is it I, just the correction think, in the market? I think among heart, AAA game development companies that target AAA gamers, there is a recognition that that's not the audience for these projects. And that's what I've been saying. Like, you yeah, but- you shouldn't be, ma- they, didn't, they didn't realize how much their players and their employees would hate it yet. Now that they know, I mean, it doesn't diminish all the market activity that's happening among new players for, who are new crypto gamers. But it's not also only triple, triple A. Like, you know, even in, even, I mean, in mobile as well. Like, people don't like this, this blockchain and, and crypto stuff. They, they don't. There's, there's very hardliners. But, but regarding, like, how crazy this was, like, I, I go back to Slush, which was, what, in November last year? So we're talking about a couple of months ago, as yeah, you said, Eric. yeah. Uh, yeah. With some of the VCs that we're discussing, I heard that you know traditional like traditional, if there is typical gaming VCs that that invest in you know all kinds of gaming companies and gaming services, they said over eighty percent of the pitches are now blockchain, like just instantly you know changed to to blockchain. So I think there is a correction to be made, and I think that correction is happening. And I think what really affects it is that. Somebody finally said, like, hey, there's actually no real success cases as of yet. And with Ethan saying stuff like, well, it's going to you know, happen maybe in five to ten years. And even Gary Vee saying that 98% of all of this will gonna go to zero. <laughs> so, so I think these type of things, when, when people are saying it's, it's, yeah. it's a wake-up call. EA, Zynga, and others will buy yeah. companies in a co- you know, over the next couple of years. Take-Two is always slower. They'll, they'll buy companies five, ten years from now. Scopely will buy some companies. There are, I, I think... You, did you say like, Cryptos are? Pe- did I hear Cryptos are? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, 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 I mentioned that in the Trigger update. warning. So, <laughs> we, we, we finally got like a, a, a freaking morsel of, of, of something that he's doing in the crypto space. Our, our Cryptos are from Zynga. Wait, what did we get? What, is not, what is it? Still has a job. <laughs> He basically put out a notice to hire some product manager for an unannounced yeah, I, project. Yeah, I've, I've been contacted right? about that. You have. Like, you should I'm make sure a move. You have. You should but, make a move. But should make he's move still to, alive. To Dude, they, they brought out the resp- or They brought out the paddle. <laughs> defibrillator. He's back. He's back. <laughs> Clear. <laughs> maybe maybe Ethan could be like a crypto count or something like a, like a smaller noble. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be hilarious. Uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't. We haven't heard boo, you know. Like so, I'm, hey, he's there. He's, I think he's, you guys should have lunch. Like, what right. happened when you had lunch with the uh, with the new zoo lady? You know, everything with Candice and everything went went great after us. So I think I think that you should. <laughs> oh no, not really. No, I'm still talking trash yeah. about streaming every chance I get. So well, yeah. well, let's talk, let's let's. I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit more fair and balanced with let's, you. Let's, let's get to, to the um, beef. Or one, you want to still hover around NFTs? Oh, one, one final quick quick NFT story. So Team17, who is a much bigger publisher than, mm. like, they've grown yeah. tremendously over the past couple of years, doing hundreds of, of millions in acquisitions. Um, but they're most, you know, mo- historically famous for the Worms brand. Uh, this is another case uh, of within about 24 hours, they announced an NFT worms project in collaboration with some other company. Uh, and they faced a revolt 
not among their players, but among developers, developer Good. partners. So Agro Crab said, we're not going to work with Team 17 anymore. Platonic did. I'm sure there was a lot of internal fear, and then they backtracked. And this just kind of bolsters what I've been saying. Like, if you're like me and you're making crypto games, focus on the audience that is currently playing and buying crypto assets. <laughs> uh, do not focus on AAA gamers. And, like, these brands are anti-brands for gamers right now. And it's going to be years until that sentiment turns around. I I actually kind of want to get on a podcast with you, Ethan, and, and, and do a tete-on-tete. Because this is my biggest problem with, with crypto right now is that the total addressable market is freaking mm-hmm. mice nuts, dude. It is tiny, right? Like, if you can't expand beyond the crypto bros that are involved in, in crypto, then this is not really a, a viable out. There's no potential here, right? Because the broad market is not interested in, in yeah. outwardly not liking so, crypto games. I wanna... And that's the, the so, so I, I, the, the la- I just want to make this one point and then we'll yeah. move on because I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. But when, did I say this in the podcast yet? So when we went to mobile in 2009, dude, the total addressable market was seven fucking billion. Okay. <laughs> like it was clear that mobile phones were going to be everywhere. So everyone and their mother is throwing shit out there and seeing what sticks. Dollar games, these Angry Birds bullshit that fucking was crushing it. You know, sub Subway Surfers, 4X, like all these games are just throwing it out there to see what sticks. Social casino for these lunatics, right? But like, but because it's a seven billion fucking people, we're going to adopt these goddamn devices. But when you're talking about crypto, you're talking about like, you know, a million people here, two million people there. Like it's ter- it's so small. <laughs> like, and now let's, let's they have spend- that debate in the future. It'll be what? fun. Let's have that debate in the future. All right. They spend a gajillion dollars, so that's a good thing. Right. Yeah. The market imagine, is so small. Imagine an audience made primarily of high LTV That's players. called 4X game. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the only saving grace of the whole thing. Last thing, I just anyway, want to say, we have a podcast on, on where Ethan deconstructed Crypto Raiders. And I didn't know that crypto, he said this is like a big game and it had actually 2,800 players. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, are this podcast had more listeners than this whole game had players? <laughs> yeah, and they've, they've done over 4 million net revenue. Yeah, well, right. So, like, well, maybe we should have released that podcast are. as an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good joke. Anyway, good. I like that. All right, moving on. Okay, folks, let's take a little break from the conversation, talk about your post-IDFA cross-platform strategy. More specifically, how you're going to monetize that sweet console and PC audience of yours. Well, here's where Player One comes to the picture, providing a huge revenue opportunity for developers and publishers. In fact, it's the only engagement and monetization platform designed to reward free-to-play console and PC gamers. Now I know what you're thinking. Players don't want to watch ads on console and PC. Well, that's actually not true. According to extensive surveys with players who are playing the most popular AAA free-to-play games, Player One found an overwhelming desire, 77% to be accurate, by gamers to have an option to earn free in-game content in exchange for watching 15 to 30 second advertisements. Now, the second thing you're thinking about is that you don't want to show other games to your console and PC players. Well, Player One got you covered once again. Firstly, the platform lets gamers decide if they want to watch TV quality brand sponsored videos inside their favorite titles in exchange for cool in-game items and awesome content. Secondly, as I said, 
Player One's inventory is purely of TV quality, brand-sponsored videos, so you won't have to worry about churn or build segmentation profiles. Plus, given the fact that the majority of free-to-play players on PC and console never actually spend any money in the live service area of those games, Player One is providing a way for developers and publishers alike to help their loyal players to get access to all the additional content that's being created while maintaining their game's economies. Player One is fully optional for players and completely respectful of game flow. And for developers, Player One has been proven to drive retention, lifetime value, and additional revenue, all while maintaining monthly active users and reducing churn. Everybody wins with Player One. Gamers unlock immediate rewards, developers enhance the playing experience and generate passive revenue, and brands connect meaningfully with the most passionate audience in media. Visit playerwon.com to see how it works in practice or Get, go to the link in this podcast description below. Now, back to the episode. Um, <laughs> are you going to talk about this, Seaford, or am I? Uh, I'll, I'll piggyback on, on you. Okay. Um, first of all, I, you know, the place, this is PlayStation acquiring, sorry, Sony acquiring Bungie. Okay. First of all, I got like at least three or four or five actually DMs from people that either work at Sony or have worked at Sony or friends of mine, whatever. They were like, oh, see? See what's happening? Sony's getting into the mix or something like that. Like, look, see what Sony did? And I'm like, no, this is not the same. <laughs> buying Bungie is not the same as buying Activision. Not even fucking close, okay? So just, just put that out of your mind. This is not a reaction thing from Sony, you know, at all, right? Really, right? They've probably been talking to these guys for a long time. Maybe the Activision deal kind of like spurred them to get it done from, you know, like the juggernaut that is the Japanese uh, Sony management. Um, and, 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 and I'm not reading more into this at all. And actually, if I were, when I get to the end here, I'm going to read the exact opposite. <laughs> like they're moving further away from where Microsoft is going with this acquisition. And I'll explain why. All right. First, I'm going to focus on the positive because I don't think this deal is a very good deal, just generally speaking. And first of all, these guys are an amazing team and they have amazing product. Destiny is an amazing game. I love it and I, I will keep playing it forever and ever and ever. There's no doubt. Um, and, um, and the other good news is that they have a foothold with a major studio in basically Microsoft's backyard, right? Up in freaking Seattle area, right? Um, and, you know, this, these are the people that made Microsoft's biggest franchise, Halo, or at least some of them. Um, and... And, and the big thing that I've been complaining about Sony since we started the podcast is they, they actually finally have a software as a service studio, right? They just don't have that capability within their organization. So hopefully they share best practices and help other studios come to the, the 20th century or 20, whatever, to the, to the, to the present. Uh, but that could take eons, right? Because these old school guys doing like, you know, uh, Last of Us and, and Charted games and God for of War. Me. Yeah, they're making games. Yeah, they're making games for nerds like Ethan. Exactly. But um, but ultimately, like, there's just no way they're going to really embrace software as a service, regardless. And frankly, as we come to this next part, uh, the negatives. First of all, three point five billion dollars for probably maybe two hundred to two hundred fifty million in revenue on a run rate <laughs> seems like a fucking lot of money, right? So I I, I don't know the valuation thing seems insane to me. Um, obviously, it's based upon what they're doing in the future. 
But the problem is that NetEase owns the next game, right? And so they lauded in the, prog- po- the, the, the press release that, oh yeah, they're going to be platform agnostic and they're going to you know, maintain control over their own destiny. It's like, really? Like, that's why, you, why would you acquire a studio that wants to maintain its control of its own destiny, right? You want to be able to control it and make it exclusive to make it more compelling for your platform, right? So obviously there's a disconnect there in my opinion, but NetEase owns the next game. They funded the game. They are likely going to benefit materially from that game. So that's not that interesting from Sony's perspective because it's going to be across all platforms and the economics are going to be split between like how many people. Um, and, And the other thing is that, and back to this independence thing, is that Bungie is fiercely independent. They got so rat fucked by Microsoft and then Activision, right? And it was like absolutely horrific. The whole thing was just brutal, right? They've been so damaged from that that perspective. They are never going to sign a deal in which they have absolute autonomy, right? And that's, so basically Sony's going to pay $3.5 billion for a company that's completely autonomous and does what they want to do, right? I That doesn't make sense to me, frankly, right? Um, and ultimately, without like exclusive content, I'm not really too sure how this helps Sony in the short term or the long term, honestly. I mean, I guess, you know, sharing best practices and stuff, whatever, that may happen, but that's going to take forever. So what I think this is a clear sign um, is that Microsoft, Sony is not trying to compete with Microsoft on the subscriptions, right? They're just not. Um, doing a big deal like this as their biggest deal ever just basically kind of reinforces my suspicion that their subscription plan is not going to be like this new game subscription plan the way Microsoft is doing it, you know, this huge value prop for the consumer. It's going to be a consolidation of their existing subscription, you know, their, their Sony PlayStation Plus, as well as some like legacy content. That's all this thing is going to be. You know, we'll, we'll see in a few months when, when this comes out. But so is it, is it going to be like a revamp of PlayStation Now? Like PlayStation Now has got a pretty good catalog if, if right. you're a nerd like me. Right. Yeah, but PlayStation Now was horrific. I mean, it was so bad. Um, but but yes, it's going to be like that. It's going to it's going to which is 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 a proposition. But no one plays old games. Like, let's be real, right? It's 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 a dumb. It's not a it's not a big value prop for the consumer the way Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> if I told you I was playing Valkyria Chronicles two on my PSP, would that blow your fucking mind? <laughs> ah, you're an idiot. Yeah. Right. That's what the problem is. So that's that. that the focus group of one. No. Um, all right. So. That's why I brought it up. You know, only time will tell, but I think this is going to be a huge challenge for Sony going forward. The value prop of what Microsoft is doing versus what Sony is doing. um, You know, they still have an amazing lineup of IP that that is beloved by by Ethan and and the rest of his ilk, right? But but I I do think that actually Microsoft has a huge advantage here going forward. I, I think it's relatively obvious and it won't be in the short term, but in the medium to long term, I think Microsoft, we see a shift of consoles over to Microsoft. I think we see lower, much lower tie ratios for Sony potentially um, going forward. Um, you know, there, there. It, mm, let me throw, let me think about this for a second. They they still have such a lot, such a hold over Europe and and half of North America that their 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 lead is not going to dissipate anytime soon. But with the, with the business model and the support of, of, of the Microsoft and the pushing across all these different things, I think Microsoft is basically going to ultimately end up end up winning. But with the 1844-year-old males, 
they still will have a dominant place in this marketplace. I'm not saying they're going to go away. I'm just saying that they're, they're going to be far less competitive against Microsoft. And the big thing that I think going forward is that in order to make console gaming more interesting and bigger, you have to go beyond the 18 to 44 year old males. And in that equation, I think Microsoft's going to have a huge advantage against Sony um, going forward. And if, if that happens, then Microsoft will ultimately win in terms of the market share race. But, uh, but anyway, that's kind of my, my thoughts there. I mean, again, this team, Bungie is amazing. I love their games. I'm going to play Destiny forever. Nothing against Bungie, but uh, I don't know if this is really that great of a deal for Sony. I, I agree with you, Chris. I think my, you know, when I saw this news, my immediate reaction was, oh, okay, they're, they're firing back. Um, but then if you think about it, it just doesn't make sense that, that this could have been in response to Activision, right? So the first thing is that Sony doesn't do a lot of acquisitions, right? High dollar acquisitions. And so this probably was like, to your point, Eric, this is probably in the works for a really long time. It's just sort of like a coincidence that uh, the announcements were so close together. Uh, whereas Microsoft has built a whole process around uh, like, you know, kind of quickly organizing um, you know, due diligence and and uh, um, and and just generally, uh, uh, you know, uh, making acquisitions in response um, to like market conditions quickly, right? I mean, that's what that you know. If you remember, they did, uh, or they they at least were like rumored to be bidding on TikTok in the whole like Trump ban uh, frenzy um, that happened. Anyway, they, but they very quickly, you know, sort of organized the team's attention at, a, at an asset and, and were able to sort of do conversations over the weekend. And, and they can, anyway, they can respond to just sort of market conditions quickly, which I don't think Sony can. And so like, it's not credible to me that Sony put together a $3 billion acquisition, um, within two weeks. Right. Cause again, like we know that the Microsoft Activision deal did come together very quickly. Microsoft was very aggressive in doing that. So there wasn't like a lot of warning ahead of time. So I don't, I just doubt that Sony could have put together this, this large of an acquisition that quickly. It just feels like it was a content play, um, that sort of like was, was independent of anything that Microsoft would have been doing. So I, I don't think it was a response. I think if they are going to respond, it would, it would need to be much bigger than this. This doesn't really make sense as a response. Right. Like Microsoft acquisition of Activision was a broad based uh, strategic, um, you know, sort of opportunity play. And this is not this is just buying more content that's and which which they've said pretty unequivocally is not going to be exclusive to Sony. Um, they, you know, they said outright there's a fact around the FAQ on the on the deal. And one of the questions was, are you going to make, um, you know, Destiny exclusive to Sony? And, and, and the answer was no. Like uh, so I think they've been pretty unequivocal about this is not. The, the purpose of this is not to, 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 to you know, sort of bolster their exclusive content catalog. You know, it does feel because Sony's been making <clears throat> doing a lot of PC releases of its exclusive games. <clears throat> it does feel like, you know, the same way that right now I've got Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime, HBO Max and Hulu. Right. Like I do that over the next couple years I will stop spending you know three thousand dollars or more on discs per year and I'll have two subscriptions that cost about hundred fifty dollars each and give me all the same content that I was getting before like that's where it feels like it's heading and then there will be like the devolver digital pass and I'll be like oh I gotta spend five dollars for their a month for their games but I love their games like it does feel like everything we're seeing in the Netflix, Paramount Plus, HBO Max, Hulu world is kind of what's happening 
and with Sony and Microsoft, and then Nintendo will just soldier on making their toys and their brands. Yeah. Um, all right. So a few thoughts for me. I, I, I read the, um, you know, a couple of articles about this and I 100% agree. It's not, a, you know, this is not something that you fire back on, on a couple of weeks notice of like, oh, you bought this. We're going to buy this for a couple of billions. It's, as you said, most likely been in work for a long time. But I do think that this is one of the first of the big moves that they are going to make just because of, well, of because what's happening in the market. Um, and I think this is kind of like the uh, the first step. As as uh, Chris has been talking on this podcast for at least two years, how Sony's Achilles heel is is that they are very much this sort of a single player narrative rich story driven um, publisher and, and extremely good at this. And even the uh, the Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan was saying that the the uh, the advantages that Bungie offers is that. Um, Sony is in its ability to make huge multi-platform live service online games, which is something the wider organization is eager to learn from. So uh, in, in the Sony's perspective, they this is an acquisition that is brought in to help them take their uh, amazing IPs and, and start transforming from, from product-based games into a more of a service-based uh, based games where each product just have more... Uh, lifetime value, just like Destiny has has been having with with the first and especially with the second one. Um, PlayStation's ultimate goal, based on these articles that I've been reading, is is really increasing the size of the PlayStation community and expanding beyond their console heartland. So, in other words, what they're saying is, th- what I'm hearing is free to play. I'm hearing mobile. I'm hearing handheld. I'm he- hearing PC. Um, and this is kind of like one of the moves uh, to not necessarily bringing the content, but more about bringing the expertise uh, to be able to succeed in these other uh, platforms that they're going for. And in order to succeed in building actually games that sustain audiences versus games that, that kind of, you know, pop and drop, if you if you say, you know, in a, in a very um, rude way, of course, they leave uh, an amazing experience like Horizon Zero Dawns or Kill Zones or Resistances or you name it, what Ratchet and Clank's like, Amazing games, but but nevertheless, you play them through a couple of times and you're done. You're just waiting for the next one or, or the DLC. Uh, the interesting thing is like why Bungie is doing this. Uh, it's um, you know, according to the statement, it was to to take their IP into other entertainment mediums such as TV and film, and of course through larger Sony. That is that is very much possible. And I already saw some clips for the upcoming Halo um, Halo TV show. I think it's a TV show. It's not a movie. So, yeah, it's a yeah, TV so, show on, uh, so they're kind of doing that already, uh, and and um, that that was really like like my question because I know Eric, you've talked before, and and we know that Bungie's history of working with Microsoft, working with Activision, and clearly they don't like masters, unless it's Master Chief, dad joke, um, but um, but yeah, that's that's the uh, what. What an amazing troll it would be if they do a Destiny TV show or series and they get Peter Dinklage to play the ghost, <laughs> since that was so... Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that he was the voice of the yeah. little robot in the first one, and that was one of the big controversies that he was clearly phoning it in. <laughs> so I would love for him to reprise that role in the yeah, Destiny the... movie franchise. <laughs> they had to re-record it, right, with a different yep. voice, because it, it, was, it was obviously so... Yeah. It, it's... He was he was too good he was too big for that that role it's interesting 
I didn't even that, that sorry that wasn't even meant to be a joke. He's a bit, his talent was too great. He cashed a check and went to a voice booth. It was like oh, God. And and, and I, I I'll just reiterate my objection to the the strategic pillar of this deal is that they'll be able to re-educate the entire Sony studio org who has lived and died by the single player action adventure games for, yeah. the, for their entire lives. In, in, in any reasonable time frame that 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 actually will be material yeah to if you read about the the story on anthem and about bioware austin and the yeah. frustration they had trying to teach bioware edmonton about live services like it's not an easy task and bioware austin had years of proof with successfully running star wars um or, or just recently with this dice the battlefield fiasco right like those guys are so freaking old school that they did exactly what they always do, right? They didn't change a goddamn thing, you know? And so they like die on the sword, you know, um, for, for, for their for their creative integrity and, and, you know, more power to them in some ways. But like ultimately, you know, changing these type of people that have been not only like have their creative integrity, which is which is which is not a bad thing necessarily, but they've been rewarded so handsomely for their success over the years that why would they ever even want to change you know like you guys making last of us or god of war or uh you know any of these big franchises at at, at sony it's like there's no incentive to change not at all right yeah we don't know (laughs) but but hopefully that you know with 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 bungie you know maybe they ultimately do create a game like 10 years from now that (laughs) It's Sony exclusive, you know, that 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 kind of like uh, brings them into the, you know, in the, the last like decade, you know, yeah. 10 the years same, from The now, same so. way we were They'll saying. be 20 years behind. The same way we were saying COD eventually becomes an Xbox exclusive and that this is just like an antitrust positioning. I I would suspect that there will be PlayStation exclusives developed by um, Bungie. And maybe that's Destiny Three, or maybe it's a new franchise. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe. And the other irony, by the way, I forgot. Oh, this one irony, I forgot to write down. But like the fact that Sony was so aggressively against cross-platform play, right? The, from the top down, leadership was fighting this tooth and nail, and being complete fucking a holes about it. Frankly, from my understanding, from talking to third parties, like they were just completely stop any discussions on this and now they do this acquisition and now they're all the benevolent like cross-platform we want to play everywhere and build games for every platform whatever it's just it's it's i know it's a change of guard and whatever else and all this other stuff and maybe they've evolved their position but they were the ones that were the hindering the progress to begin with right and now they're like you know embracing it you know it's 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 really funny how all this stuff works out but anyway well on that note Thank you, That's everybody, it. for listening. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. Keep keep showering us with those blunt DMs. We like it hard. So, so. yeah, bring the hate. No, there's Your no hate there's no hate. There's just just good feedback <laughs> from, and you know, even the one that we talked about, it, it was actually you know saw the feedback. So so thank you for yeah. Feel free. Feel free. <laughs> to no, throw it was kind of it was hate mail. Ethan, I mean, let's, let's, <laughs> no, I mean most of it's most of it's constructive, but this one was hate okay. mail. No, no, no. Like I said, I just want to be clear on this. You can throw all the hate you want on Ethan. Just don't do it at me. You know, I'm good.
I can, I can, I can, I can take it. All right. All right. Everybody, have nice. a great week. Have a good Goodbye. one. Goodbye. Stay out of trouble.